Well, good morning, Bridgewater. How you doing today? Good. I'm Luke. I'm normally your worship leader, but uh, Matt has given me the opportunity to lead you in some study of God's Word, so I just want to say thank you for, for that. Thank you for your attention. And we're going to continue in week four of our series called Rules of Engagement. And uh, we've been talking about the happiest and the greatest moments of our lives and then also the worst and the hardest moments of our lives. And they happen through relationships and conflict that sometimes might exist through relationship. And uh, the first week, Matt talked about rule number one, which is not about winning. Okay, when our goal in conflict, it, it can't be about winning the conflict or avoiding the conflict. It has to be about pleasing God. In the second week, Pastor Jim talked about uh, owning our part of the conflict. Okay, so we must focus on our part of the conflict, no matter how small we think it is. Uh, and and we were we studied James chapter four. Uh, James chapter four told us that when we desire to glorify God. That's what's going to lead us. Last week, we talked about confession, and not just confession to God, but actually seeking to apologize and, and seeking forgiveness from the people or the person that we have hurt. You know, it's, there's a huge difference between an apology and asking for forgiveness. Does anybody remember, I'm sorry? Yeah. Well... If you missed any of those, make sure that you go back and you listen to our podcast. You know, we have a great resource that's available. Does anybody carry one of these around with you? Or am I just a weirdo that has a notebook that I love to write stuff down? So I take notes on Sunday, but then I like to go back and I listen to that podcast again because sometimes there's things that we miss. So with the hundreds of thousands of resources available for us to listen to, this is one that we can hone in on that we know that's going to be profitable to our relationship with Jesus, okay? So if you need me to take your smartphone and point you out where it is, I'd be happy to do that. But today we're going to go into rule number four, which is gently confronting, okay? Because we're going to find out what God says about confrontation, and the, which is our next step in resolving conflict. And I don't know about you guys, but I remember my very first interaction with confrontation. Do you guys remember? You don't remember mine, obviously, but, you know, let me set the scene for you, okay? I'm five years old. It's in Northeast PA. It's snowing, okay? It's snowing a lot. So we have a snow day, okay? I'm the youngest of five, so I grew up in the 80s, all right? So my mom gets us all ready. We start at like 5 a.m. so we can get out the door by 7 all right, we all get bundled up and we go outside, all right? So one of the parts that she bundles us up with is, is, is a homemade ski mask, okay? It wasn't made to rob banks or anything. It was because when we went out at seven, mom locked the door and we were out there till five, okay? <laughs> you guys know that. Parenting in the 80s is a little bit different than it is now, okay? So my brother, Sam, he's a lefty. Man, he can make the best snowball ever, Okay? So we're out there, and we're playing, and all of a sudden, I turn around, and wham! <laughs> there he is. Man, I was cute. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm like, he ain't going to get away with that. So I went after him, you know? Do, do you see my, all the snow in here, too? Not just so much here, but up in here, too, okay? So I confronted Sam about that snowball, and, you know, I just ended up in the snow more, okay? That was my first experience with confrontation. Didn't go so well. 
So after that, you know, of course, I went to my dad, who was standing there with a camera. (laughs) What happens here, you know? So instead of, you know, comforting me, you know, hey, let me get a picture of that. But that's probably why I remember that confrontation. Let me tell you about another one that happened soon after. Fast forward to the summertime, and it was a beautiful sunny day. My older brother, Joel, and I were sitting out enjoying the sunshine on our front porch. It was a Sunday. Mom had made us some pudding for dessert, chocolate pudding, yum. We are sitting there, and we were facing each other, and my brother Joel dipped his pudding into his bowl and brought the spoon up to his mouth and then put his finger on the end of the spoon, okay, and then turned his hand around, started pulling it back, and wham! Right in my eye again. But this time, I, wasn't, I didn't look so upset, but I was laughing. We were laughing. We thought it was hilarious. That's what you do with pudding. Then the door you know, kicked open. My mom comes out. She's like, what are you boys doing? That was a point of confrontation. That's what I remember. That one wasn't so great. But, you know, I want you to remember about something about confrontation that involves those two stories. It wasn't just me, okay? It always involves two, at least two people. So we know that conflict isn't just about us, okay? So we need to remember that we need to be ready to deal with others and in our conflict. But the one main thing that we have to remember is our portion of the conflict, we have to remember to deal with that first, Okay, so we're going to read some scripture here. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture today because God has a lot to say about confrontation and, and exactly how we should do it. So we're going to start in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way... You will fulfill the law of Christ. So this portion of Scripture is not just talking about a personality issue. It's not just talking about our preferences. It's not talking about difference of opinion in politics or what we like to eat, what we don't like, or what kind of music we like or not. No, it's talking about spiritual issues. Okay, it's speaking of someone who is deliberately and unapologetically caught up in sin. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18 says it like this. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that's the general principle here that we're working on. The general principle is don't hate love. This is everything when we're talking about confrontation. We need to understand this. When we choose to step into a lovingly God-led confrontation, we're setting a higher standard for ourselves. We're creating accountability between us and that person in that relationship. So we need to make sure that we are relying on the Holy Spirit to lead us. If we continue on in Leviticus or we go back to verse 16, it says, Do not go about spreading slander among people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So that's telling us when we enter into confrontation, we need to protect the reputation of that person, of our friend, of our family, the person that we're in relationship with. So we need to ask ourselves, is this confrontation an effort to better their relationship with Jesus? Or is this confrontation just self-led? 
Is it spirit-led or is it self-led? In Proverbs, in chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, it, it puts it this way. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So if, it means if you have a friend, if you have a relationship, and, and you're never challenged, and you're never confronted with anything sinful, then that friend's acting more like the enemy. So let's not mistake open criticism for confrontation. Because if you're criticizing people more, if you're criticizing people that you love, you're actually hating them. Proverbs 28, verse 23, it says, Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain more favor than the one who has a flattering tongue. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. So how you confront others and how you respond when you're confronted, that's going to show whether you are a mocker or whether you're wise. So how do we do this? What does the Bible say about how we can confront in a way that doesn't cause a fight? So if you go back to those three weeks of, of us talking about the rules and of relationships, you go back to them and you've been thinking the whole time, you know what, I know somebody who needs this. I know who I need to confront. You're not going to do this part well. Matter of fact, uh, if you enjoy confrontation, you just should not do it. You know, because we need moments of confrontation that are, are led by God. Okay, it has to come from our inner light, which is our heart. And our heart if we're seeking a relationship with God, it's going to be continually transformed. Okay, So as we're entering into confrontation, we're going to put aside that sinful nature and we're going to allow our Holy Spirit to lead. We're going to ask ourselves, is the result of this confrontation an effort to glorify God or is it to satisfy my needs? So how do we know how and when to enter into a confrontation? We're going to talk about three steps to take that are going to lay right out so you know exactly how and when to enter into a confrontation. Number one, we need to deal with our conflict first. We've heard this a whole bunch. We're pounding it into you because it's so important. There's so much more to say. So, so we need to deal with our part no matter how small we think it is because most of the time in a conflict, we're going to downplay our portion. We're going to downplay our part of it because it's hard. We don't want to hear that we're at fault. We don't want to have to take the responsibility because it's easier to shift that blame on someone else. But we have to. We have to remove that plank or that board from our face. We hear that. Okay, we have to do that. Because when we do that, we're stepping away from our stubborn rebellion that, that we have with God. We're seeking forgiveness from God. And the result of seeking forgiveness is going to be thorough, unconditional, complete forgiveness without reservation. That is what God's promises. God promises us that he will forgive us. Now, as we step into that action, as we step into forgiveness with, with God, as we own our portion of the conflict, we should expect to be emotionally drained. 
You should expect to be emotionally drained from that because we're laying it all out there. We're taking accountability for our portion of the conflict. That's tough. So what's the second part? What's the second step to take to enter into confrontation? We're going to overlook things when you can. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, A person wisdom yields patience. It is, only, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So after we have confessed and sought forgiveness for our portion of the conflict, overlooking should be the next step. So as Christians, we shouldn't be walking around with a baseball-shaped Bible waiting to beat people down with Scripture to expose their sin. If you're waiting to catch somebody in sin just so you can confront about it, confrontation isn't for you. Because all that is is vengeance. We're not engaging in true love. We're just throwing punches to bruise people's soul. We know that as we enter into confrontation, if we're allowing our Lord to lead us, that's real love. It's real love that speaks the truth. Well, along those, when we're looking to overlook an offense, there's some things in our lives that we need to work on. So we're going to focus on these three things when we're trying to overlook the offense. Number one is patience. Patience is something that helps us to be quick to forgive. It allows us to see and walk in, somebody other, in someone else's shoes. The second thing is righteousness. Seeking righteousness is seeking to be an imitator of God. Because if you're trying to be in a right relationship with God, that's exactly what you're doing. You're seeking righteousness. Psalm 103, verses 8 and 10, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's a perfect example for us when we're talking about confrontation and conflict as we're seeking righteousness throughout. The third thing that we need to work on when we're overlooking an offense is humility. Humility allows us to, to be introspective. It allows us to see our own faults and our own failures. It allows us to overlook criticism because it's not typically about us. It helps us not to take offense quickly because we're not obsessed with what others think about us. We don't always have to be right. So if, if there's times that you should overlook an issue, there's also times that you should not overlook an issue. So I'm going to run six questions by you. And if you answer yes to any of these questions, then you know that you need to step into confrontation led by God's love. Okay, here's the questions. Are you talking about the situation to other people? So are you taking this conflict to somebody else and talking to them about it because you think that you need some confirmation from them to tell you that you're right? Has it damaged your relationship with that person? Is it eating you up inside? Do you find yourself thinking about it weeks on end, months, you can't let it go and it's just building bitterness inside of you? Has this conflict brought dishonor to God? Is it hurting others? And is it hurting them? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you know that it's time to step into confrontation. Because in relationships, there's ebb and flow. Confrontation is one of those times in our relationship that we're going to grow. But if you don't have a relationship with that person, all that's going to be taken as is criticism. So we need to seek that relationship with that person. When we're confronting them, have that relationship or it's only going to be criticism. So when we're talking about overlooking an offense, Jesus gives us a really good example. Uh, And it was his relationship or lack thereof with the Pharisees because the Pharisees didn't seek out a relationship with Jesus, but they were very harshly critical of him. They didn't know him. They didn't have a relationship with him. But they were openly critical of him. But Jesus made a choice and he was humble and he overlooked their criticism instead of confronting their harsh judgment. So Matt Chandler, a preacher, he looks at it this way and he said this. To overlook an offense is to absorb as much of the offense as grace allows you to absorb. Let's say that again. Absorbing as much of the offense as grace allows you to absorb. So when we're talking about overlooking an offense, here's a rule of thumb. No relationship, overlook it. So when we step into that confrontation, how do we do it? We need to do it gently. So let's take a look at Galatians 6, 1 and 2 again. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught up in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pull some things out of there. Number one, watch yourself. Number two, carry, that, carry their burden. So how do you do that? Let's see what God says. Matthew 18, verse 15, it says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out their offense. If the person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. So if you allowed God to lead you into this confrontation, you face that person, and they agree, and you come to a, you restore that relationship, you've got them back. And you've followed exactly what God tells you to do. So along those lines, some things that we need to consider are some confrontation cannots. Okay? So you can't enter into a confrontation unless you have a relationship. And when you do have a relationship, you should expect to be confronted. Because this is one way that God refines us. That's why you hear the term accountability partner. You've all heard that before. We use it a lot. That's important because that person is someone that you have put your trust in and that you love. And it goes both ways. They love you. They trust you. Okay? You've tasked them with helping you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. So that person loves you so much that when you fall into sin, they're going to make you aware of it and they're going to help you walk through it. Another confrontation cannot is you cannot come into confrontation with anger because there's no gentleness in anger. And what we're trying to do is gently confront. 
So if you can't have a conversation, you can't enter into, into confrontation. So let's say that again. If you can't have a conversation, you can't enter into com- uh, confrontation. Last confrontation cannot is going to be you cannot enter into confrontation impulsively. Impulsively. Boy, there's a lot of syllables in these words. <laughs> you have to have a plan, okay? You have to have a plan. So what are the cans to confrontation? How do you confront gently? We've got a little method that we're going to give you, and it's acrostic, sort of. It's called OIC, or, oh, I see, this is how I do it, okay? Of course, I know C doesn't start with C, but we got it, okay? What's the O? Observation. So what are the facts in confrontation? What is it exactly that caused this conflict? You're going to lay that out before him. Now, you want to make sure that this is just the facts because this, this is a relationship. We've been hurt. There's, there's some emotions in there, but we need to make sure that we just lay out the facts. Don't put it out there like, oh, this, I think, is what happened, or, you know, it's kind of fuzzy. You don't really remember, but no, the facts. Observation are the facts. Interpretation. This is what happened. This is how, how it made you feel. This is what you think the person is doing, and this is how it made you feel, and this is how you feel it had an impact on others. This is the interpretation of the conflicts. This is the assumptions that you're making. And then confirmation. Okay, You've laid out the facts. You've told them how you feel, how it made people feel. So you ask them, is this the truth? Am I looking at it the right way? So it'd be like this, okay? I'm coming home from work. Dinner's not ready, all right? Let it go first night. Second night I come home from work. Dinner's not ready. Third night I come home from work. Dinner's not ready, you know? And I'm like, Wednesday, I'm a little aggravated. And I'm thinking, I'm observing that dinner's not ready. <laughs> My interpretation is she hates me. <laughs> she doesn't care that I've been at work all day and I'm hungry. And then I'm going to confirm the fact by entering into conflict or confrontation. Or maybe I shouldn't because I need to develop a plan because I went through OIC. I observed that dinner wasn't ready. I'm interpreting that she doesn't love me. And then am I going to confirm that by saying, yo, Bridget, why isn't dinner ready again for the third night? Do you hate me or what? It's not going to go so well, is it? No. Because that's not... That's not Spirit led. That's that's led by my sinful nature, my stubborn rebellion. Okay, so oh, I see. This method takes it takes some skill, takes some humility, takes practice, but it always goes better this way. So let me tell you something about that happened this last week. As I was studying and preparing this message, I got to deal with confrontation with a one-on-one, and it was great because it wasn't me. So, my son, my youngest, he loves to play Fortnite. It is like his life. Live, eat, breathe Fortnite, okay? He's passionate about it. So, last Sunday, I could hear him. He has a headset with a mic, you know. And I could hear him playing, and it's just the level of his voice is getting louder and louder and louder and louder and louder until he's screaming over it. And so, I go downstairs, and I'm like, Maddox, what are you doing, and who are you playing with? 
And he turned at me in his face. He, you know, he's got tears. I said, all right, you can turn this off right now. You need to find out what's going on. So we sat down, and uh, he said to me, Eddie was being really mean to me. It's like he said some so really mean things to me. And I said, I heard you saying some really mean things to him too. He said, I did, and I feel bad. So we sat down and we prayed because he knows that's not what Jesus wants from him. And he came up with this plan. We got done praying, we said amen. He said, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow about it because I want to know why he was talking mean to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him I'm sorry first. And then I'm going to ask him why he was being mean to me. I didn't preach this sermon to Maddox. He knew what he needed to do. Then he came up with a plan. He said, you know what, I'm going to go talk to him. And then if he doesn't, if we can't get through this, I'm going to go to Mr. Carpenter. That's his teacher. You know, we got some loving teachers in this area. And he knew that he could go to him and that they could go and talk to Eddie about this. And they could try and come to a resolution with this. That's, that's completely humbling to me, knowing that a nine-year-old who believes in Jesus can do this, and he's bold enough to do it. What an example. And I got thinking more about where are the majority of my conflicts in my life? Where are things that I can't overlook, that I, that I go right into confrontation about? Well, it's kind of like uh, Lucy up there. You know, They're always in my marriage and my family. So, if I come home, you know, and I've had a terrible day and I step in and there's tons of conflict going on in, in, in the house, if I sit down and I start attacking Bridget and I start attacking my kids, if I take them into that confrontation and, and Bridget responds like, what are you doing, you jerk? You just leave us alone? Do you think that that's what God says about how we're supposed to enter into confrontation? Absolutely not. You know, nine times out of ten, what's going to happen is there's, there's going to be silence, and I'm going to realize that this is me. It's my sinful nature that is pushing into that confrontation. And, and then she's going to come beside me later on, and she's going to say, what's wrong? Did you have, is there something going on? Do we need to talk about it? Because she's going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead her in that way. That's what we need to do. So what happens when this one-on-one -on -one approach doesn't work. So when we approach this person that we're having a conflict with, when we get into that confrontation with them, what if the one-on-one -on -one doesn't work? Well, let's read about it. Matthew 18, 16 says, If you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, this isn't a gang attack, okay? This isn't me grabbing Ryan and saying, yo, I know you hate this person too. We're gonna go beat them down with scripture until they feel the same way that we do. It's not it, okay? That's not it. It's, it's gathering people that care about the person like you do. You guys, heard, you guys have heard the, the value that we have that says life is better connected, right? We put value in small groups because it's so important. Because when you, have, when you choose to enter into a small group, you're, you're putting, making yourself vulnerable. You're entering into a relationship that's setting accountability. That's why small groups are so important. 
Because there's unity in the Holy Spirit that is so powerful. And, and that's exactly what God tells us to do. When we need to step into confrontation, and we're following the, the, the commands that God has given us, we have a step in place already. So if we were on one-on-one it doesn't work, we have a small group, we have people that we can go to, that we can know, that love like God loves. So verse 17, it continues on to discuss what happens when you take a group of people and you, you uh, speak in, com- in love and you confront a person with a group of people and that doesn't work. Well, the next level of that, what happens is that goes into church discipline. And uh, that's something we're not going to talk about today, but I'm going to happily refer you to Matt if you want more information on that. Okay, so that would be the next step in confrontation. So one thing I want you to think about when you enter into confrontation, and it goes along the lines of this phrase that I love, and it says, these things take time. Take the time you need. When you choose to humble yourself, admit your your part in the conflict, you've overlooked all that you have had to overlook, you've answered yes to those questions, you know that you need to step into confrontation, You've created a plan. You've thought it through. But guess what? That person that you're going to confront, they probably haven't thought it through yet. So we can't go into a confrontation thinking that there's going to be a moment's decision right there and those people are just going to change like that. You know, we have to be ready and, and know that when you enter into confrontation, even when you're doing it with love, that they're probably going to get defensive. So no matter how gentle you are, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt both ways. It's not easy. So when you enter into confrontation, don't force things. and Don't expect something to happen right now. Let God play his role in that relationship. Because quite often God works slowly and gently and relentlessly when someone's working through change. So remember, these things take time, so take the time you need. So as we consider what we've talked about today, and we talk about gentle confrontation, we, we need to understand that every single conflict provides you with an opportunity to please God. Every single conflict provides you with an opportunity to love others. So God knows that we're going to face conflict, we're going to face confrontation, and he's given us resources to be able to deal with that. So we know that everybody has a next step, and maybe your next step is to lead into that confrontation with God's love. I challenge you to do so. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for today. Thank you that we can gather here in unity through your Holy Spirit, Lord. I just ask that you would expose to us anything that might be standing between us and you. And Lord, if we're struggling with conflict in a relationship right now, Lord, you'd make it clear to us what our part is in that. Lord, that that would lead that to forgiveness, seeking forgiveness. Lord, if you're leading us to step into confrontation, I ask that you would help us to humble ourselves before you, 
to allow you to lead us, Lord, and to take these steps that we've studied today, put them into practice, Lord, that we can extend grace because you are a merciful God and you love us. You accept us for who we are, Lord. Help us to seek that forgiveness and that restoration of a relationship so that you above all things will be glorified. We love you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for this day and this time that we could study your word. In your name, amen.